Hi, Stella. Hello. We have a really exciting episode today because we're talking about some, some new events that GenSpect is putting on, which are actually going to be groundbreaking and really huge. So we'll, we'll save that for uh, a few moments. But we wanted to just take a minute to introduce our two guests who have actually been on our show before. <laughs> so I'll tell the audience a little bit about Joe. Joe Burgo is a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst who's been in practice for almost 40 years. And he's particularly interested in the concepts of narcissism and shame. Um, he's also a really big part of the Beyond Trans uh, project through GenSpect, and he'll tell you more about that. And he's also the author of several books, including The Narcissist You Know, Defending Yourself Against Extreme Narcissists in an All About Me Age. Yeah. And uh, Alistair, Alistair Gunn, was working in academia when he became interested in gender issues. And after coming into contact with a group of parents of trans-identified boys, he wrote a series of Quillette articles on the topic under the pseudonym Angus Fox. As a gay man who tackled body dysmorphia in adolescence, Alistair brings a unique understanding of issues related to teenage male development. Since then, his work in gender has fo focused mostly on design, marketing, research and communications in GenSpect. And then recently diagnosed with a terminal illness, Alistair has stepped back from day-to-day -day work and is keen to highlight the ways in which gender healthcare falls short of the normal standards of excellence we've come to expect from the medical industry. Yeah, it was a really interesting conversation and we will let you guys listen. Hi, I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Through in-depth interviews, personal stories, and psychological exploration, we probe the gender landscape within contemporary culture. And we consider the implications of prioritizing personal identity over other aspects of the self. This is the thinking person's take on gender. Join us as we look at gender from a wider lens. Hi, everybody. <laughs> hey, Sasha. <laughs> Hi. Hello. How are you? So we're lovely. I'm doing well. It's great to see your faces. And we're here with two familiar guests. I think anybody who's been listening to our show will recognize Joe Burgo, who was here to talk to us uh, in episode 74, I believe, about shame and narcissism, 73. And then Alistair, you are making an appearance. You've been kind of out in the public now for some time, but you mm -hmm. joined us as Angus Fox to talk about gender dysphoria in young, young men and males. And welcome back uh, with your real identity. And that was in the early days of the wider lens. What was that like episode? It was episode 21 and 22, wow, I think. Wow. Okay. Long time ago. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And of course, Stella, as always, <laughs> my lovely co-host. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we're here to talk about GenSpect today and the GenSpect vision for a very exciting event that I think our listeners will be thrilled to learn more about. The bigger picture, as, as you guys know, on a wider lens podcast, we talk a lot about seeing gender from a bigger perspective, a wider lens. And GenSpect, of course, has a really uh, solid vision for a psychological approach to gender, an approach that doesn't necessarily push the medicalization as the first line treatment. And um, we're going to talk about this amazing event that's happening in Ireland uh, at the end of April. So welcome, everybody. Hi, thank you. Uh, 
I'll say a little piece first and then Alistair, you can take it away uh, with, with a more eloquent <laughs> kind of version. <laughs> but I suppose more than anything, I think Jen Specht is trying to merge all the different aspects of gender and sometimes they get segregated. So let's say, for example, maybe WPATH has the, the, the medical, you know, the emphasis on the medical and somebody else might have the emphasis on the psychological and somebody else might have it on the evidence base. Well, we're trying to do the sociological, the cultural, the legal, the the political, medical. I know this is very expansive and very ambitious, but somebody has to do it. It's a kind of emerging of, let's look at, and it was it was Alistair who came up with the idea, the bigger picture of gender. Yeah. And what is the actual gender? Because if you look at them all separately, you come to different conclusions. Well, if you, as some people, for example, just see gender through a feminist lens and it's, that's a lens. But if you look at that and somebody else sees it through a medical lens and somebody else sees it through a psychological, they're missing things. So the grand plan is to offer the bigger picture at the end of April at a conference that's going to be held in the same town in the same week as WPATH are offering their conference. And we're just saying, yeah, that it's please attend the EPATH WPATH conference. Please do. EPATH are the European version of WPATH. We'd be delighted if people attended. But we would also be delighted if they'd attend ours because there's there's many things going on. There's a lot of layers to gender. And that's what we're trying to get, a, be- a better understanding of the bigger picture. That's what I think. Yeah, to, well, so the, the three of us, I think it's what, like all the best ideas. It's something that just happens and then you it's already happened by the time you know it's happened, if you know what I mean. We all sort of came into this in the same way. For me, part of it was hearing Eliza Mondegreen, who attended the last WPATH conference, and she spoke about how there's this, there's a missing layer. So you've got this top, very abstract, very political, civil rights-driven layer of the WPATH conference. It's people talking about trans rights, legislation legal definitions, it's very abstract, it's very civil rights based. You've got a very, very technical level, which is to do with the administration of surgeries and hormones and so forth, and really getting very technical about these surgeries. And it's like a sandwich with no middle, because what's missing is the human. So just to give an example of how this is failing, let's say you've got a young man and he wants to transition, and let's say he's mad about sport. He's absolutely mad about sport. So the technical people at WPATH will say, that's great, we can transition you. There's no problem there. Here's how it's all going to work. I actually think there's a lot of conversation to be had about that, but nonetheless. The abstract political civil rights layer will say, yeah, you should. Trans people should be represented. But a human approach would have to say to that individual, listen, if you're big on sport... We need to have a conversation about this because there are a lot of people who are not going to be happy if you compete mm-hmm. against natal females. Now, that's mm-hmm. what good healthcare is. Good healthcare does not just say, yeah, that's your problem. Good healthcare says you have a life to live, you have friends that we want you to keep, you have a family that you want to be in a relationship with. So, I mean, I'm in a very intensive healthcare at the moment, and every time I see my consultant, she asks me a whole stack of questions. And it's not because I'm super interesting and it's not because she's super nosy. It's because she's treating a person, right? She's treating the whole person. And so she can't just say, oh, you've, uh, you've stopped socializing entirely and your, your diet has gone to the wall. Well, that's your problem. 
That's not appropriate healthcare. And so it's that missing human level that that's what we've been discussing in many different ways for, so I think, the two years I've known you, Stella, in one way or another, we've been discussing that. And so when we realised WPATH, well, EPATH, their subsidiary, was going to be in Killarney, you know, these are people who've said, well, we've never heard of detransitioners. We don't know where to find them. Well, we're going to be really just down the road. So we're we're really very, you know, calmly, not aggressively, but fairly insistently saying, this is your opportunity to see the bigger picture. So when Stella talks about uniting the cultural and the medical, there's a real ethos behind that, which is that the people who are, women who are looking at the implications of transgender ideology for female activities and spaces should be in the same room as people who are looking at the medical sides and the complications and all of the rest of it. Because... These young people, once they go through this change, they are going to have to live in the world and it's no good to send them out with a backpack full of ideology and nothing else. They have to be better prepared. So that's really the ethos behind it. And that's why it's, it is a very ambitious guest list. It's a very exciting guest list. It's maybe unusual. It's not the kind of guest list I've seen before, but that makes it all the more exciting to me. Well, and you know, when, when the Standards of Care 8 landed, there was a lot of talk about trying to form some kind of an alliance of people, organizations who had different points of view to, to WPATH. That didn't exactly happen, only now it's, it's happening. You know, representatives from these, all these different organizations, from, from Transgender Trend, from Thoughtful Therapists, from SEGM, there's all these people who are going to be there. We're all going to be in the room together. Yeah, sex matters, right? We're all going to be there talking together. So, you know, WPATH says no debate, and we say yes, debate, lots of debate, please. And that's what it's about. In many ways, I think when WPATH released their standards of care, and we did an episode on it, Sasha, and we, we went through mm -hmm. the standards of cares that they released, there was something so seismic happened with that standards of care. You know, it, in 2012, when they released that other one, that, you know, there was, it was in a very different climate. But when they released that and they chose to have a chapter on Unix and they chose to give such little attention to the detransitioners, it, it, it kind of burnt, it burnt a kind of a fire within lots of people. I know you, Joe, for example, you did the Beyond W Path kind of initiative, which, which you, you, you can tell us about in a second, but which was like, oh my God, this is an appalling document effectively. Mm -hmm. um, l let's all look at it. And I think since then, that was last September, and since then there's a feeling of we can't just let that be. We can't allow WPATH be a self-identified kings of gender and not offer other alternatives. And so Genspector are offering themselves as an, an alternative view. Yes, WPATH can do their thing. We're offering an alternative. There's a lot of talk online at the minute where you'll see people who are really pushing increasingly young children into transition, social transition and often medical transition. And in almost every single one of those cases, there's a parent, and I'm not defending nor am I attacking, I'm just saying this very neutrally, saying, well, this is all WPATH standards of care. The gender clinic we went to, they follow WPATH. The credentialism, they have surfed this wave of credentialism for so long. And the release of SOC 8, standards of care 8, when suddenly we see no ethics, 
No to ethics, yes to eunuchs. Mm-hmm. It's so strange that I think it started to break a lot of people's faith in that credentialism and, and make people realise, OK, you, you may well be doctors. That doesn't mean you're God. That doesn't mean we can't question you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was the sort of shocking the, the way that they... I, I think, as I said from the beginning, they have discredited themselves and they handed us a golden opportunity really to open the debate, to challenge this, you know, this standing they have. Because really, the question I get asked a lot of the time, I'm sure all of you do, is, well, if not, if not WPATH, then what? You know, and there has to be a visible, credible alternative to this um, this organization that managed to have captured all of the medical organizations in America, in, infiltrated institutions all over the world. There has to be, we have to speak up, and I think we do better if we unite our forces and we come together and present alternative perspectives. I mean, that's what I was arguing for when I drafted that declaration, and I think that's what Stella had in mind when she came up with this brilliant idea to hold this conference. Conference, right? Let's let's speak up now, everybody, please. Yeah, yeah, because the WPATH, as it says in the document, it's WPATH beyond WPATH.org. If anybody wants to add their signature, and there's thousands of signatures on it, and um, the idea was to kind of highlight the the standards of care that have been produced are are really not good enough. They they they, they don't offer enough care. For, for vulnerable people and um, therefore we now need to come up with other alternatives. We need to look for other people to offer care to people who want to have a, a diverse approach to gender. Right. And we're not and we're not saying we have the definitive alternative approach now. That's not what we're saying. We're, we're not saying reject standards of care eight. Here's what you should have and said. We're at the beginning, right? We're, we're trying to bring together disparate points of view so that we can come up with an alternative standards of care eventually, you know, down the line. But, the, you know, the mm-hmm. evidence base is really poor for, for the WPATH standards of care. It's very weak. Um, and that needs to be pointed out, and the, it needs to be opened up. We need to start looking at all of it. Um, they've, just, they've just been allowed to present themselves as the sole authority for too long. You know, and that that's just has to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, t- to this point of like, well, what would the alternative be? I think we we can easily slip into these binaries, for lack of a better term, where it's like either medicalization or never medicalize, or it's psychological intervention or affirmation intervention. And I think what's so great about this whole concept of the bigger picture is like, well, there are lots of different ways to look at this, you know, and whether you're someone who's a physician or a therapist or a gender dysphoric person or a trans person or a detrans person, there are so many ways to understand what is going on here. And frankly, the more ways we can look at the situation, the better informed everyone will be and the more real autonomy everyone will have to make decisions as a provider or as a person seeking medical care or psychological care. So. I, I love that concept of the bigger picture. Um, I, I'm wondering, like you mentioned, Joe, this idea of publishing uh, standards of care. 
And I think we should just talk a little bit about what that means. I know that's not in the immediate plans, but like a standards of care, my understanding from the medical side of things is, you know, what are the treatments that are best supported by the evidence, the interventions best supported by the evidence. And when it comes to psychological standards of care, it's, it's interesting because the language is framed as what would a reasonable professional do with this situation? And I, I found that interesting because that changes a lot depending on the context, as we all know from studying kind of the history of gender medicine and the various kind of phenomena that have taken place in the field of psychology and psychiatry, that changes a lot. So like what a reasonable therapist is doing right now when a 12-year-old comes into their office and says, I have gender dysphoria, is very different from how that would have looked 30, 40 years ago. So I wonder if like, what is what is the GenSpec vision around this? Because I think part of what we need to do is create a culture where providers feel like feel safe doing what their instincts are telling them to do. The, the part of the the problem has been is that WPATH has been advocating for the the affirmative care model, which puts people like Stella and me out of business. Basically, that's what they want to do. They want to argue that exploratory therapy, which has a strong evidence base and has been practiced for a century, they want to argue that that's conversion therapy and they want to put a stop to it. So, you know, that that can't be allowed. There has to be a voice for people like us. And, you know, if you go back to the standards of care four, or when it was the Harry Benjamin, Habigda, whatever, they used to say exploratory therapy was the first line of a, a defense. One should be very cautious that they recognized detransition and regret so that we ought to proceed very slowly. Where is the evidence that they have? Why did that change? Is it just activist-driven, or is there some new evidence coming forward that proves that that actually wasn't a good idea? I don't think they have it. I don't think there's any evidence to support that point of view. It's an activist-driven agenda that, you know, that makes it impossible for Stella and me and other therapists to work. And myself. And you, Sasha. <laughs> yes, sorry. I keep thinking of you as the host. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would say, like, think of it as, like, maybe we're selling... We're selling pear juice and somebody else is selling carbonated energy drinks. We're not going to release a guidance on how to create carbonated energy drinks. Genspect is never going to be uh, releasing guidance on how to do these surgeries because that's not what we're offering. We're offering a different vision, which is that you can actually be comfortable and confident in the world and all the rest of it without medicalization. Um, we're not necessarily going to barricade the doors to stop you medicalizing. If you know, but that's not what we're offering. So in terms of standards of care, I think there could be scope for standards of care. And if people are interested in that, join, sign up, come and join, bring your expertise, bring everything that you have. That in terms of the psychology, those psychological and therapeutic elements of dealing with distress caused by gender issues. Yeah, sure. But there won't be any medical, like surgical or pharmaceutical or pharmacological stuff, because that's not what we're offering. And you can, you know, if you want that, you can go to WPATH. There's no shortage of places that you can go. And so with the conference, we're starting with a keynote speaker, um, Helen Joyce, who released, she's Irish, and this is in Ireland. And she's been overlooked 
extraordinarily in Ireland. And so, like, she's she is a brilliant writer. She was the editor of The Economist for, for I think, 20 years, certainly a long, long time. And we're usually cringingly proud of anybody who's gone abroad and made good, done good, you know. We're very parochial and we, we really, really, in Ireland, we really generally overpraise them. And Helen Joyce wrote this extraordinary book that anybody who knows anything about gender and trans and uh, this world knows has has done very, very well. And yet in Ireland, not a peep. It wasn't reviewed by the, the, the main pa- newspapers. Uh, she isn't on the radio speaking about gender. It's a astronomical gap that she isn't being kind of lauded. I just can't emphasise how much this is not normal for Ireland. So we thought there's only one person who could open this and that would be Helen Joyce. And so she, she, we are giving her her due, her due respect and she's going to speak. And then after that, Maya Forstater is going to speak because Maya's case, Maya took that case where she effectively, and we had her on, of, uh, on the podcast, but she took the case where effectively to defend the right to hold her beliefs about gender, gender critical beliefs, people would often call them. But what people don't know, I think, is that she used European law to defend this and in Ireland and all over Europe therefore there's now precedent because European law was used to defend her right you know what I mean so while it was a case that was taken in England it was European law you know like EU law and so it's very very relevant to Ireland and so she's going to be speaking afterwards and uh, does anybody want to take up the gondola I don't I, I talk too much I need to talk less no, we've got, well, should we just do, a, should we just show off? We've got Stephanie Davies, right? We've got Sasha, we've got Lisa Marciano, so we've got the whole of the Wider Lens team. We've got, who else have we got? We've got Benjamin Boyce, the lovely Benjamin Boyce. Um, we have got we've an Ken awful Zucker. lot of, Ken Ken Zucker. Lisa we've got Lisa Lippman, Michael um, Biggs, who will be familiar to parents. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, lots of detransitioners, lots of people who want to speak about their experience there. And can we say a few things about what, what each person, for example, in the evening of the first um, uh, night, which would be the Thursday evening. So the the, the Genspec conference is starting on a Wednesday in Killarney, which is a small town in Ireland. Lovely, picturesque, beautiful tourist town. And the EPATH conference is starting the day before. And that will be a very medicalised um, um I would argue very much a doctor's junket. This is, you know, come to a very picturesque place, have a little holiday, go and see the lakes of Killarney, you know, do the Ring of Kerry and off you go. Hopefully, having gone to the conference and learning that Genspect are holding a, a conference with, you know, in the same town, um, hopefully they will be engaged enough with their subject to take us up on the fact that we're offering a free ticket to anybody who attends the EPATH to come over to the Genspect. And come over and see, for example, we're going to have a panel of detransitioners on the Thursday night, on the first night, where they can hear different perspectives from detransitioners, just different perspectives of, and they're going, those detransitioners are going to be able to kind of take the table and speak as they wish mm. about their issues. I think that's a really important. I think if 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 a if we're not learning, you know the way in airplanes they have the black box, and it's the most important part of air 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 travel is you look at the black box. What what's gone wrong? 
we have the opposite. It's like, get the detransitioners away. Don't let them speak. We're doing the opposite. We should have a look at when it goes wrong. We should be all mm-hmm. over. We should be massively focused on what's happened with anybody who detransitions so that we can learn what should have happened, what would have been better. And it's so strange because it's like if you phoned the fire brigade, if you phoned emergency service and said, my house is on fire, and they said, yeah, but not all houses are on fire. It's like, what's that for a response? But that is what mm-hmm. we get over and over again. Is yeah, but, you know, this is just a small minority. Well... That may be. I mean, Lisa Lippman has obviously done a wonderful job of highlighting the problems with those statements. But even if she's wrong and that's right, this is still worth talking about. And then to pick it up, we also have um, we have Colette Colfer, who's going to be talking about gender ideology as a religion and the kind of religious and spiritual aspects of this. And we've got Leisha Ieger de Brun, who's going to be talking about the law in Ireland. And we've got, my goodness, we've got so many people... We, um, we have Lisa Marciano, our friend and colleague, uh, Eliza Mondegreen, Dr. Julia Mason. I'm just kind of looking here, and there are so many amazing names. I just want to make sure when you, to when, kind of lift yeah, them up. When you, when you look at the difference, like Eliza Mondegreen, who has her finger on the pulse of what's going on in the trans community. She, she's a young graduate. She's very, mm-hmm. um, very into the what's going on on the ground. And then Online, right especially. Yeah, she's got a complete mm-hmm. cultural understanding of what's going on. And <coughs> then beside that, to have Julia, Dr. Julia Mason, who's a pediatrician, who's who's all about, you know, the, the child development and looking at the AAP, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics and where they've gone wrong. That's merging. That's a proper merging of all the different elements of of what 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 we should be looking at when we look at gender identity. So hopefully hopefully I'm hoping that people who come to this conference will walk away thinking, you know what, I was all about the feminist perspective, or I was all about the psychological perspective, but now I've thought about the cultural, or now I've thought about, you know what I mean? I've added mm-hmm. to my perspective, mm-hmm. no matter what perspective it is, you, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. the legal is really, when you start getting into the legal, for example, Leisha um, from the Countess will be speaking about the legal, the implications of self-ID, which is in Ireland, and it is so unthought out in Ireland. They didn't think about it. They they haven't thought to the end of the sentence with that. And she will kind of explain, you cannot just legally change children's gender identity on their birth cert and then tell them that they can't change it back when they detransition. Like, hello? <laughs> because that's exactly what's happened in Ireland. So there's people who will be attending the conference who have transitioned, who have detransitioned, but now are stuck with the male, um, you know, marker on their documentation because you can't change back. We hope you're enjoying this episode of our podcast. We work very hard to maintain high quality content for the show. To take an even deeper dive and support the show, join our listener community for access to exclusive content, practical tools and resources supporting gender and identity exploration. We're so grateful to our sponsor, Genspect, an international organization which offers an alternative to WPATH, providing a range of education, resources, and supports to anyone impacted by gender distress. Genspect unites many different organizations globally and gives voice to thousands of previously untold stories. For more info, visit genspect.org. And thank you to our sponsor, Rhyme. 
Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics is a non-profit organisation dedicated to improving long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit rethinkime.org to learn more. And now back to the conversation. How many of those people that we talked about on this list of speakers have been guests on A Wider Lens? Hmm. I mean... Oh, so many. So many. I, know it's... I mean, yeah, I, I think nearly everybody, but not everybody. And actually, some of these people are probably coming on in the near future. So a lot. It's it's amazing, actually. And that's what yeah, I think would be so exciting for your audience, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 And at some point during the conference, we haven't been able to nail down exactly when, we're going to be doing a live stream of the podcast since we will be there. And our lovely friend, Lisa Marciano, um, the young Ian analyst is gonna be joining us. And so we'll be able to talk a little bit about what it's like to be there like live on the ground. And then we'll be releasing that episode. Um, it'll be live of course, and then we'll release it also later. So it's it's gonna be quite remarkable. I'm, I'm curious about something. I'm not as involved in the behind the scenes aspect, but given that the U, the UPATH conference is going to be there also the epath sorry has EPATH, anybody yeah. who's a prominent figure in that conference been like notified or formally invited like is there going to be any attempt to kind of cross invite or collaborate in that way <laughs> yes we're not saying a massive amount of that yet because mm -hmm. this is a very fraught kind of environment yes. um but yeah there will be there there's already guaranteed to be a good share of overlap because we should remember WPATH is not a monolith there are questioning voices in WPATH there have been questioning voices in WPATH yeah. for years and mm -hmm. there are people who are kind of staying they're not going to leave kind of like if the neighborhood goes bad and you're just like no I'm staying here it's where I was born I'm not gonna <laughs> you know that sort of an, a mentality and good for them good for them because it's it's better that they're in there than that nobody who's questioning mm -hmm. this is in mm -hmm. there, in, in my view. Um, so there'll definitely be some, some overlap and that's already kind of being chatted about behind the scenes. And there'll be overlap in the pubs and the restaurants. Kalani is not a big place, you know? Yeah. So you've got these that two the, that conferences was, with yeah. two very different views. Mm -hmm. That was the first uh, response Michael Biggs made. Uh, Michael Biggs, of course, he was on our, our, our podcast and he is a, a an extraordinary wealth of knowledge about yes. you know uh, you know he really is uh, he's really mm -hmm. really really penetrated the world between the Tavistock and the FOIs that he sent in around suicide and then around puberty blockers and then around the mental health of puberty blockers Hannah Barnes book in many ways couldn't have been written without yeah uh, Michael Biggs forensic investigations and then Michael Biggs has turned as his eye, his beady eye <laughs> to uh, Amsterdam and the Amsterdam clinic and he's busy doing FOIs. So he's giving a talk on the Friday morning and I, I'll certainly, I'll be very interested in hearing that. But that was his first response when we invited him. He said, oh, there'll be lots of interesting conversations around Killarney because he was going. Of course he was going. Lots of people are, would mm -hmm. be going to, to EPATH. And then they heard, oh, this mm -hmm. gents, oh yeah, bring it on. People's response has been mm -hmm. very positive. It's like, yes, this it was, you know, one of those feelings of, of course this should happen. Of course this should mm -hmm. happen. You know what I mean? Of course we mm -hmm. should be looking at bigger pictures in the same town where you get to look at both sides. 
You know, you go to see the mm-hmm. Coca-Cola conference and then you go over to the pear juice and you say, OK, yeah, different drinks, different, <laughs> different offerings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we should also put in a little plug for the for the, the three of us. We're not just organizing it. We're all also speaking and participating. So, Alistair, what are you going to be talking about? I'm going to be giving a talk. Well, I'm doing a few things. So there's going to be a debate about pronouns, which is going to be very interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly what you would expect. It's not just yes or no preferred pronouns. And I, I want to give a talk. I want to give a talk which is very um, sort of, what's the word? Concrete and very um, broken down. So I want to talk about the healthcare I'm receiving and just keep comparing it to the healthcare that you receive in gender care and point out the differences because there is a normal ex but there is an expectation of excellence that we have of healthcare because it's something that matters mm. it's like you know if you're working in blue light services you kind of have to try and be excellent at all times and this has really fallen apart i mean you think about our friend i know all of us here know in one way grace ladinsky smith and she phoned her mm-hmm. surgeon and said I'm unhappy. And the surgeon is on record publicly as saying that she thought it was a, a joke. Now, it doesn't matter whether you've just dealt somebody, if you've just dealt with an ingrowing toenail, if somebody calls you up and says, I'm not happy with the care I've received, you stop and you take that seriously. And the more serious the medical situation or the more serious the risk, and let's yeah. remember it's WPATH which is putting out these lurid statements about suicide and all the rest of it so they can hardly Mm. say hey let's minimize this the more serious it is the more serious you have to take these various issues and that's not what's been happening can can i just say something about this i don't want to share too many personal details but i have a very dear relative who's in the middle of some very serious cancer treatments and she has never really experienced a serious medical issue before. Um, she's much older. She's in you know her late sixties, and she said to me, you know, I was so shocked, Sasha, that even when they were getting ready to discharge me, they had a physical therapist come to talk to me about all of these different aspects of how my home is set up so that they make sure that with the kind of limitations I have in my physical environment that I know exactly what to do. And he kind of coached me on like how much circulation I need to be getting, how much walking I need to be doing. And this is almost tangential to the actual treatment she's receiving, but it's like this whole person kind of care. She was shocked and so impressed. And I mean, I thought it was actually kind of sweet because I I thought to myself on one hand, yeah, of course, like they're treating a whole person who has a life to go live after they leave the hospital. And exactly what you're saying, I mean, Grace's story is a perfect example. And I've seen just such horrific stories from people who received care or some kind of quote unquote care or surgical intervention. And then basically the second they walk out of that surgical room, the doctor gets to completely wash their hands clean. Like that person no longer matters. And you're right. I mean, Stella and I are pretty critical of the mental health system and the medical care system in Mm. lots of ways. Like I don't think gender is completely um, unique in that way, but on a broad scale, the level of like washing your hands clean of your patients once they leave your office is 
absolutely disgraceful, especially considering the low evidence base behind these interventions. It's not like something with a good solid like medical base, like a statin, you know, you can prescribe a statin and not really worry what happens to the patient after because there's a well-established kind of evidence base behind yeah. it. But these procedures are so risky. So it's shocking how little investment physicians are often making in the, the care of their patients once they're done. Shocking to the point of thought provoking where you're thinking, really, R really? And then I think mm -hmm. of, I, uh, you know, D-Trans Awareness Day was a, a, um, a little while ago and we had a webinar, Genspect had a webinar and this, this lovely D-Transitioner spoke about how when she contacted her clinic to say, I'm D-Transitioning, their reply by email, and that's all it was, they did, she, and this, she was 21, she was young. And the reply was, we'll discharge you now. Thank you very much. You know, you're detransitioning, you're discharged is is the answer. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to what can we do for you? You're discharged. That was the reply to I'm detransitioning. Extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's another point to be made in all of that, which is the, the your your relative situation, Sasha, is very familiar to me because I'm dealing with yes, yes, very yes. serious situation. And if I went to my clinician and I said, um, you know, uh, I've stopped eating well, uh, I've started, I don't know, smoking crack or something, I've stopped, uh, I've stopped doing any exercise, and I'm not socialising, and I'm not talking to any of my family, but all of that will go away if you cure me. Now, in my case, that's actually a reasonable proposition, right? That's not a hypothesis. I don't have some wild hypothesis that if I didn't have stage four cancer, I think mm -hmm. things would be better. Whereas when we're talking about transition, uh, so much of it is the grass is always greener, which, and you've covered, well, everyone here has spoken in their own way about how so many complicated things get funneled into the grass is always greener. So many different problems get this one univariate kind of explanation. So even if what they, even if there was some evidence that this is always the right thing to do, even if we did have a diagnostic base, even if there was some way to look into people's souls and say, yes, you will definitely be happier in so many years' time, we can say that for certain, it's still not appropriate. What a good medical professional does is, let's say I turn up and let's say I say my diet has completely gone, I mm. now have one food group and it's Cheetos. It's not acceptable for me to turn around. For, it's not acceptable for my consultant to say, well, that's your problem. She has to say, well, wait, hold on a minute. We need to sort you out with a dietitian. We need to talk to other people in the healthcare field. So we know, particularly in America, but elsewhere as well, that at the Tavistock, the healthcare in silos, the refusal to talk to eating disorder people, specialists in neurodiversity, even things as basic as specialists in exercise. Mm -hmm. This is abnormal. This is not the way normal healthcare works. Every other field of medicine works with a collaboration with other fields, not this kind of fiefdom attitude. So that we got started on that because I was asking you what you were talking about, Alistair. 
you and I are also going to do a, um, um, a panel with Benjamin about about the boys, the lost boys, who so much of the emphasis oh, yeah. is on the, the young women who transition, but we're going to, and, and every time Benjamin and Alistair and I get together, we end up talking about masculinity in one way or another, so we're going to continue that conversation. And then Stella, you're going to be talking about conversion therapy bands, aren't you? Yeah, I think it's very important to talk about conversion therapy bans, which is kind of where the psychological kind of merged with the, the legal. And suddenly governmental authorities are coming in in a way that I don't think I've ever seen before into the psychology rooms, into, you know, into clinics to say how we should be kind of conducting ourselves within the psychological realm. It's it's, it's a, an extraordinary event where they... They've glommed on, you know, gender identity onto an awful lot of conversion therapy bills. And all these conversion therapy bills feel very unnecessary because there's very little evidence that there is conversion therapy among ethical accredited mental health professionals. They might be among religious zealots and like people, frankly, the only place they found it, they did a 20 year scoping document in Ireland looking looking for a conversion therapy. The only place they found it was uh, among um, religious zealots who were also performing exorcisms. So <laughs> this is how extreme it is, if you follow me. And it's nowhere near the likes of me with our candles and our kind of good vibes and our come on in and sit down and here's your comfy cushion and your chair. It's so far from what any any ethical therapist these days would be performing but because of the way it's very badly worded because they don't seem to really they the word for example gender expression gets thrown into conversion therapy bans not even just gender identity but gender expression it's like what, what are they even talking about it's very badly worded very sloppy or else purposely sloppy anyway i'm going to give a talk on you know, conversion therapy, you know, what it is, what it isn't, and how ethical therapists should not and do not um, um, do anything like conversion therapy. And uh, yeah, that's that's very important. Yeah, our our podcast will be streaming probably, the, it'll be the Friday night, Sasha, and it'll be, I think it's seven o'clock. But um, yeah, we haven't, <laughs> haven't quite we're, we're not being religious about our details but yeah scheduled in 7 p.m irish time be there be square yeah and if i can stay awake the whole time that will be fantastic because i'm an early riser and early to bed so we'll have to caffeinate sasha heavily <laughs> uh, yeah but you, you're eight hours ahead or something in phoenix so you'll be all right okay <laughs> you won't be too bad all right yeah <laughs> can i put in a plug for me um I'm going to be talking ah, on, about <laughs> autogynephilia. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I, I started reading about autogynephilia a long time ago. I mean, you know, I think it was in 2012 or 13 when I first hit upon it. And I actually, back then, had some email exchanges with Anne Lawrence. Um, trying to clarify some ideas I had about it. And, and it, the, the way it's described in the, in the literature... Um, has never satisfied me. Um, oh. I've always found that that call, talking about erotic target errors sounds like it's this very precise, understood thing. I don't think that actually means anything. I think that's just bullshit. Excuse me. And I also found, you know, I read all of Anne Lawrence's book. Um, 
Men Trapped in Men's Bodies, which is one of the greatest titles ever. But I read the whole book, and it's so frustrating because it's completely uninformed by any idea of of trauma, attachment theory, anything a psychodynamic therapist might think. Mm -hmm. So uh, it just didn't sit right to me. And as it turned out, when I started working with Beyond Trans and I started working in the gender space, I'm working with a number of men who have have this issue. So I've, ha- I've been really lucky to ha- get a chance to know these young men and to find out what, what makes them tick, how they got there. And it turns out to be kind of a continuation of what I was talking with you two about on the podcast. It's, it's the, my ideas about shame and narcissism. It's all of a piece. So I'm going to be presenting clinical material, some pretty interesting clinical material, um, on with these guys and then right after me Lisa Marciano is going to present a case and then she and I are going to do a Q&A together with the audience so oh, I'm great I'm super excited about that oh, can, can I ask you a question about that because um I'm I'm aware that there's there's a lot of fractioning whenever you get a group of like very very engaged and opinionated people right and I think there's some kind of fractioning going on around this autogynephilia concept and I think Stella and I have had lots of conversations. We've talked to different voices. And you're right. You're pointing out that a lot of the kind of sexologists and the early research was very, very like data driven and very like focused on what's considered paraphilia. But it doesn't really explore a psychological underpinning of that experience. Right. And then I think there are parents whose male children are experiencing gender dysphoria. And I think many of them are comforted by a concept that Stella and I have put forward, which is, and you too as well, Alistair, that like there's something else going on with these males. They're not pure autogynephilia the way maybe like Anne Lawrence has written about in her book. But you're talking about the psychological piece. Like, I think this is interesting and I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, Stella, but like my thoughts on this are really open to evolving and changing because really this is not an area I know a ton about. But do you notice this too? There's like these kind of camps popping up. Like, no, my son is just a quirky, nerdy guy. There's nothing sexual going on. And then there's like the pure autogynophiles that are like, this is just how we're born and like, don't question us, even though they acknowledge autogynephilia. Like, it's interesting. I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, if you if you think about that for for a few seconds, you'll see that there's so much shame in this area. The parents are ashamed. I mean, let's face it, the idea of men, you know, dressing up in their mother's clothes and masturbating, they're not exactly sympathetic, you know, people. They're they're open to a lot of hostility and ridicule. Um, And so it's natural for the parents to say, no, not my kid. And it's also natural for the, the AGPs to say, it's just the way I'm, I'm made. I'm born this way and there's nothing else going on, nothing to be ashamed about. Right. So, you know, I, I, it, it just, it all, it all kind of bears out what I thought would be there once I, you know, took a deeper look. Um, But it's, it's a very, it's a very, one last thought. It's a Mm -hmm. very fraught space. You notice like there was this big pile on recently on Jamie Lee Curtis. Her son is, is kind of like, he looks to me like an obvious autogynophile. And they were vicious to him on, on Twitter. 
Um, and to the point where Jamie Lee Curtis finally put in all caps, back the F off, mm. you know, to protect her I child. But mm. they're hated. I mean, the AGPs are hated, you know, by the feminists. Boy, mm -hmm. um, mm. it's, a, it's an intense space for sure. And, and can I add, this is a space that Genspect has, has resided very um, uncomfortably, but insistently since we began, which is being willing to discuss these thorny issues. So I'm delighted Joe is going to be presenting his view and his thoughts on autogynophilia, which are which are well informed, which which are thoughtful and well informed, but which are not we're not in the consensus, if you follow me. There will be people in the audience, there will be other mm -hmm. speakers at the conference who will utterly disagree with Joe. And right. that's great. Because that's how you get better outcomes when people disagree and say, oh, my God, I don't agree at all. And I'm going to speak at the end of this when he speaks, when the Q&A come, I'm going to stand up and frankly rant. About how, <laughs> you know, I, I, I look forward to and I can think of people who will stand up in the audience and say, no, 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 no. You've got it all wrong. These are the points. And won't we all be the better for it? Like, it, it feels almost like, you know, it's, it's the classical, you know, liberal uh, view, but like that, yeah, of course we disagree. And yes, of yeah. course we're civilized about the fact we disagree. We welcome disagreement, have more disagreement and more disagreement and bring us together because we will get each other th thinking. And um, it seems so fundamental, but it's been lost. So an awful yeah. lot of conference, I've been at too many of them, we all agree. We shout and whoop. Yay, yay, yay. On to the next speaker. We all agree. Yes, well done. Clap, clap, clap. <laughs> and on to the next. This won't be this. This will be people yeah, like yeah. kind of sitting beside each other who won't be so naturally. And that's what's needed. That is healthy. I believe, strongly believe it's healthy. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable. But hopefully adults, mm. we can handle that. I think Stella and I are going head to head in the debate. I think we're on opposing sides, if I recall correctly. The pronouns debate? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> which just goes to prove, which is good, right? That's good. Yeah, but it's yeah, not. That's it, amazing. It's, it's basically. Do, do pronouns the, 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 really matter? Are they important? Well, Wait, what, what's like each of your positions? It's, no, it's not quite. In my mind, it's not quite do they matter? It's do we talk about them too much? We're already oh. disagreeing. My point no, is <laughs> that they're not as important as everybody tells us. <laughs> so we'll have two different debates. He'll be off debating his point and I'll be debating mine. <laughs> yeah, I, I with you with a mirror. I disagree. <laughs> That's I think interesting. More I'm very but I curious. But I think we talk about them in the wrong way. Okay. All right. Any, any other, any specific Oh, yeah, there's uh, something events? big. Yeah, there's something big I want to bring in. You know, um... Joe is the clinical lead for Beyond Trans, and we're very proud of Beyond Trans. It's, it's certainly the most arduous part of Genspect. It's the most, it takes a lot of, you know, effort, and we, we really try to treasure it. But it's also a brilliant part of Genspect, if you follow me. And what it is, is we're providing services to people who've been harmed by medical transition. And so during the conference, we've offered de transitioners to come over, we've put them up. And they're going to have the panel, which will be very interesting. But there's also two different workshops being held just for detransitioners or people who are beyond transition, not just detransitioners. So the first uh, workshop will be on the Friday and it'll be held by Julia, Dr. Julia Mason and Dr. Laurie Reigenstreif. 
and they will be answering questions because there's so many medical questions mm. that people have been impacted by medical transition. So they'll have their own space. It'll be a small space, their own private space to ask medical questions of doctors. Oh, and if, wow. Yeah, I know. It's really good. Wow. And if they don't have the answer to hand because we're aware this is really unknown territory. It's like really yeah. going into the kind of Wild West. Um, they are going to research it and come back. So they might take some questions that they'll have to say, gives it because you know you and I Sasha know we hear people and they say I've got a sore throat from testosterone it appears to be something to do with my voice mm -hmm. box and larynx and and what will it go away you know what I mean yeah, no, yeah th sure. questions like that so then the second workshop we'll be doing which I think is going to be amazing it'll be Dr. Leonor Tifer Tifer and she's a sexologist Tifer yeah I always get it wrong and she is a sexologist and a psychologist, but she was at the first ever WPATH conference. So now she's at the first ever Genspec conference. So, so way back in 1979, she was at the first ever WPATH one. It was called the Harry Benjamin Society, but you know, they were our association. And um, she's going to be providing a workshop for um, about intimacy and about relationships, which is such a difficult aspect of living a life when you've been harmed by medical transition. So mm. I think they are two jewels really in, in the kind of crown of this conference. And in a way, I think we probably haven't given enough attention to these because I think they're just, they're purely public service, if you follow me. They're, they're just there because these people will be there and it seems like a very good opportunity to, 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 to share some knowledge and help. There's so much stuff because I'm just thinking of more and, and another uh, just a couple of things. We're going to have art. We're going to have art oh, yeah. um, from uh, Lordy, or is it? Mm. It's Lordy, right? Who's yes, Sarah uh, on yeah. Twitter who does those Sarah who does those beautiful uh, portraits of detransitioners. So she's going to bring some of them so you'll be able to see them. And we're also going to have the wonderful um, Phoenix that keeps on rising from the ashes, uncancellable Nina Paley, who's. Um, <laughs> going to be doing well we shouldn't say what yet but it's going to be very very good but she'll have her comics there she'll have her she comics will have there. Yeah. comics so you will get to buy uh, agents of hag humorous acronym gag is what hag stands for <laughs> um this is my signed uh -huh. copy and then the other thing is that there's going to be an opportunity to talk about uh, probably many opportunities actually but certainly one at least to have a good in-depth discussion about parents um, and about what this is doing to parents and how parents feel and how parents can strategize with this. And again, I know it's a big ask to get to Kalani. It's not actually that big. We we forget that there are other and countries very in the world pretty. which are a little bit bigger. And it's very pretty. And it's very pretty. Very pretty. And actually, it is very pretty. And then you tell somebody from Alberta and you say like, oh, it's a long way to Kalani. And then it takes them three hours to stop laughing when you tell them it's like three and a half hours from Dublin or something. Like it's not that far. <laughs> so... I think it would be, I think it has the potential to really shake things up, just to have in the town all of these different people, to have therapists, to have activists, to have transitioned lawyers. people, detransitioned people, lawyers, politicians, yeah. uh, journalists, you know, surgeons, uh, and mm -hmm. bringing all those perspectives together, it might actually really be a seminal moment. Yeah. 
But, you know, even if, if you can't come, and we encourage everyone to come, it's going to be an extraordinary experience. You can also, for what is it, like 100 euros, 95 euros, 95 euros, you can, you, can do the, you can do the live stream. It might be with a slight lag, but we're going to be streaming the whole thing. So you can, you can still attend most, not all of it, but there are other ways to attend and to, to support the work that Genspect does. We're going to have as well, we're going to have, uh, interestingly, Sasha, the book that you and I contributed to, the Critical Therapy Antidote book will be there. And thinking on that, I'm going to encourage people to bring their books. So let's say let whoever can bring their books, because it'd be a great place for people to be able to sell their books, if you follow me. So the Critical Therapy Antidote book is only out in the last couple of weeks, but there's a few other books. Obviously, you know, there's there's the biggies like Material Girls by Kathleen Stock and there's, you know, Trans by Helen Jones. But there's lots of other interesting books that um, could be for sale if people do. The Countess will be coming from, from Ireland and they'll have some literature there. And we're going to give... Oh, yes, oh, yes. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> my lovely book. book. My lovely book. I'm still shy about it. I'm still shy. I'll get over it. I'm, I'm launching it soon, so I'll get over it. I get very shy about things like that. But yes, my lovely book will be there. And um, as well as that, there's going to be an Irish section on the Saturday where there would be a lot of opportunities for Irish people to come together and talk about it. Because we're in that really strange position where we got in gender ID before anybody. 2015, we got in gender ID. But nothing really happened because there was very little gender issues in the country. And then... We have the, the, the fight between the children's children's services and the adult service, where the children's services followed the affirmative and the adult services literally rejected WPATH. So we're in a really weird, very Irish position, I would argue. And so we're going to have a panel on, you know, gender ideology in schools. We're going to talk about self-ID. So it's, I think it's very good and important that we've got an Irish section. We've got some great speakers like Colette. We'll be talking about religion and cults and gender ideology and Estelle will be talking about feminism and and identitarian authoritarian politics and a, you know the the and Isolt will be there Isolt is an amazing therapist granddaughter of Maud Gan a great hero of Ireland and she mm-hmm. is yeah she's amazing she'll be talking about the chilling effect which you and I Sasha know mm-hmm. how many therapists choose and yourself Joe as well how many choose not to work in this because of the chilling effect that mm-hmm, chilling effect mm-hmm. is so under, under acknowledged mm-hmm. of what a mm-hmm. big deal it is. And she's brilliant mm-hmm. on that. So she's going to speak about that. That's There's so loads. great. So we, we <laughs> have so many um, notes that we're going to uh, put in to accompany this episode, because, of course, so many of the speakers have been on our show. So if anyone is going <laughs> to attend or wants to brush up on some of the speakers, you can listen to lots of episodes and We'll put the Genspect website, of course, in the notes with the way to get there to the conference. Uh, this is going to be amazing. I mean, I do think this is going to be a really big moment. I think so. I yeah. really think it will be. I think All it's right, so, so interesting <laughs> the way that the three of us kind of stumbled in on it at the same time, basically. And it's just one of those ideas that happened before we knew it, which yeah. kind of yeah. tells you it feels like the rhythm is, is correct. You know, this is mm-hmm. the way we were all headed. Yeah. 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 Mm. You, you, you sometimes an event is sometimes you have an idea and you just think, of course. And I remember hearing that mm. something about somebody who wrote a song. It's a really well known song. And he was asked about it and he said it was a kind of a feeling of putting on the glove and the glove fitted. 
there's a mm. kind of a feeling of this. It's just like, yeah, of course this should happen. And yes, it, it should happen at the same time. That's what I think. In America, the glove fitting has a very different. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe and I know. <laughs> Though Jay Simpson trial. Like, oh, God, right away. <laughs> we do not want to be associated in any way, shape or form with that type of glove fitting. However, <laughs> We get what you mean, Stella. I don't know what to say to that. I'm so scared when I fall into American politics inadvertently. All I think is, can I just come back out? Because you're all going to kill me. Last night, last night I watched on YouTube like a bunch of different um, Irish sayings and like social norms. And I was like, oh, I understand why Stella says sorry all the time. And why you say bye, 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 bye. I love all of this kind of cross-cultural sharing. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> okay, Did you bye, know, bye, Sasha, bye. that in this country, um, in this country, one of the ways that people greet you on the street, if you're just walking on the street, is they just say, well, oh, yeah. when you first move here, it's really frightening. Because you're like, you're like, well, what? What do they do? What? 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 And it's just an abbreviation for "Are you well?" And it's yeah, it takes oh, a bit of getting used it's to not it. just a very confrontational people. It's a different thing. <laughs> no, and you know how if well, like you were telling you a story, <laughs> if you were telling a story and you went like, "Oh, get out of here! You're kidding me! You're kidding me! You're kidding me!" Yeah, yeah. In yeah. in Ireland, "You're kidding me! You're kidding me!" is "Go away." So you'll yeah, be talking yeah. to somebody and they'll say, go away, go away, go away, go oh, away. And what, it's very what, strange. What I do, and it, it doesn't translate, is I say, don't talk to me, don't talk to me about Sasha. And people are like, okay, I won't talk to you about Sasha. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. there's like a whole category of phrases that are Stella-isms, and then some are culturally rooted. So like, oh, as no, I was watching this Irish. video... I was like, some of this is just Stella, I think. No, no that's not true. Can I hear that? Don't talk to me about that. Don't talk All right. to me. <laughs> well, there'll be much more of this to come in person, I imagine. Any other like last things that we want to send off our listeners with? I think we covered a lot. I think this is going to be a, a, a first of a meeting of all sorts of people who've never met. I saw Stephanie Davis arrive saying to Benjamin, oh, we'll have that coffee. And I said, Ben, oh, Sasha's going to be Benjamin. And I think this is... <laughs> and I think, you know, Ken Zucker, so many people want to meet Ken Zucker. And the, the, and then Michael Biggs, who, who almost feels like an enigma. There's just so many yeah. people to meet. There's something about meeting in purpose, person. Yes, it's nice to have things online. There's something very it's powerful. It's very powerful. Yeah. And I, I really wait. think, yeah, I think we shouldn't underestimate the power of meeting in person and the ideas that spring from conversations that happen when you meet in person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not All to I mention was... that it's going to be really fun and we're going to yes. laugh a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think For so. sure. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a lovely chat and I guess I will see you all in Killarney. Yeah. Yay. I can't wait. Well, great. Like a month Thank you, a Sasha. Bit. Thank you, Sasha. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, A Wider Lens. Listener support means a lot to us. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more information, visit widerlenspod.com. 
There you'll learn about joining our listener community, how to contribute to our show and where to find us on social media. Our discussions are for educational purposes and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services. 